0: As Pastor Josh said, over six months ago, we we planned for me to preach this sermon today. Um, It would be, as we remember back, the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And we're not here to honor Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. as we are much, as we are to honor Christ. But we are here today and we want to learn from this gentleman on what tomorrow would, would have been his 89th birthday His life was cut short, as I realized, this year on his 39th birthday, the same age I turned just a few months ago. And it was sobering to think what this gentleman did in 39 years. And this is certainly not to say he was a perfect man, as we'll come to later in the sermon. But early this morning, I felt that I had to toss out how I'd planned to begin this sermon. So... Things are a little changed, maybe a little rough, but I felt like I had to address the elephant in the room when it comes to racial justice. And that is that this week, two politicians made comment that brought grief to my heart, that hurt my friends, did harm to our image as a nation. First, as I began the week and began preparing this sermon, a state senator from Kansas, claimed that illegal drug laws were, quote, originally enacted and then clarified that he believes they are still needed because, quote, one of the reasons why, I hate to say it, was that African Americans, they were basically users and they basically responded the worst to those drugs because of their character, makeup, genetics, and whatnot. In his apology if you can call it that, he said what he really meant to say is some people are just more prone to weakness with drugs. He still holds his position, by the way. As the week continued, our president made a statement about both Haiti and Africa, probably using an expletive. It's hard to imagine that he did not realize that he was making a statement about two places primarily composed of black individuals and said those countries are to be described very poorly and then he said America needs more immigrants and his citation was a country which has an overwhelmingly white population He's failed to recant or deny the explicit term, citing that was just how people talk. And whatever your view of our president, we have a diversity here. As Christians, if our stomachs are not twisted by both of these individuals' remarks. We truly should question our love for our brothers in Christ. The loss of this nation, the loss of the world, and we should wonder based on 1 John. We don't have love for our brothers. What is our spiritual state personally? I don't say this because I want to be disrespectful of our president. He is our president and I pray for him and I commend you from Scripture. You must pray for him as a believer. That we must show respect. But I say that because what I was going to say is an introduction to our sermon today, was that I don't know that there are any overt racists here or something to that degree, but we all have subvert things. But the reality is there is a blatant racial injustice in our country today. You can't read the the headlines and not realize that this week. So we want to follow Romans, and we want to follow what it says and respect our leaders. We want to pray for them But specifically this week, I want to challenge everyone to pray for their repentance as we need to ourselves repent and treat all Americans and all people globally with dignity and respect that they deserve. Racism today may not be what it was in previous years. There's not slavery based on the color of a person's skin, although there certainly is slavery left in America today. We don't have separate water fountains or separate schools although we have separate churches. We do not go around calling people racial slurs and keep our jobs, but the alt-right puts those slurs on signs and the media happily broadcasts it. I want to quote a man named Jamar Tisby. He said it this way, a preacher. Racism does not go away. It just adapts. We have moved away from slavery and then we moved to Jim Crow and now to de facto racism. Laws have changed. That's good. But hearts have not all changed. And that's what we see working itself out daily and sadly in our lives, not just politicians. So today we're going to come from more than one passage. We're going to be all over the Bible. Most of y'all know I don't like doing that even on topical sermons. We're going to be all over the place. We're going to start in Genesis chapter one, very beginning of the scriptures. It's the, the opening to the Bible. But we're going to be all over the place. And and this in sermon, I want to be very careful, is not just written for the white individuals here, or the black individuals here, or the Asian, or the Hispanic, or the Pacific Islander, because I know every one of those are represented today. Whatever whatever other ethnic Histories might be here. It's not just for one group. We all need to deal with that wiggling snake of racism. Though it was injured many years ago in our country, it's still alive and well. And it's squirming around and it's angry. It's biting at our hearts and we're devouring one another. So what I want to do is come with four different areas. Four different scriptures. Um, Actually, three different scriptures. The first is a theological concern. We're going to start with what does God say about this? And then we're going to go to ethics. How then do we live? And third, we're going to go to a time of application. And finally, I want to offer because this is the heaviness of my heart was just weighed down this week. And we're going to conclude with a message of hope. If you've ever heard Dr. Martin Luther King's speeches, and I hope every one of you have and have read have read his letters from a Birmingham jail, they're full of hope. And while I don't know if he had the hope of Christ, he certainly came from a place of Scripture on many things. We know we have hope. And we know how this ends. It ends with us all singing around the throne of God from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. So we know where this ends. So, so please hear me. That's going to be heavy, but, but we're going to pull up at the end. It may feel like a nosedive in the plane, but don't worry. We're, we're going to pull it up at the end. But we need to deal with real issues that are real this week Now, of Scripture. So first, a theological issue. There in your sermon guide, you can follow along. God's creation of all humans in the image of God destroys any attempt at racism. Say that again. God's creation of all humans in the image of God destroys any attempt at racism. I'm going to be in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So this is the account of creation. It's kind of a summary, big picture, of God creating everything. We start in the beginning and there is God. And by the end of chapter 1, there's everything we can see and everything we can't see in creation. Genesis 1.27 talks very specifically about the creation of humankind. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And just in the 2 verse 28, and God blessed them. That passage is foundational for everything when we come to think about who are we as people. Whether when, And some of you all will know who've been through premarital counseling with me. This is where we start premarital counseling when I do it. We start with who are we as people. And in this verse, twice he says we are made in the image of God. Let's walk through that verse just very quickly. So God created man that means humankind this is this is general man in his own image this doesn't mean i physically look like jesus okay just just to clarify i know that should should be obvious but we got some kiddos in here too it doesn't mean my physical facial features look like god or yours but it does mean that when i look at every single one of your faces in here there is something innate about you and about me as humans and about every single human on this planet that looks a little bit like the divine. We know God is spirit. Jesus didn't even have a physical body at this point. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. This happens way later. So, so we're not talking about just a physical thing. There is something in the way you can speak and communicate. There is something in the way you can think. There is something in about the fact that you are spiritual. And there is something about the fact that I can have a relationship with you that all reflects a little bit of who God is. So when I see you, I am denying theological truth. I am denying Scripture if I see you and cannot see anything good about you. I am denying spiritual, theological, biblical truth if I see you and disparage you and hate you in my heart. If I see you as less, what I'm telling my heart is a lie about Scripture. Our theological truth that grounds all of this is that God created man in His own image. The the theological term that's often used from Latin, the imago Dei, the image of God. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created Him. So let's just be very careful. I don't know if you can tell there, but He says the exact same thing twice, right? Okay, that wasn't a misprint, that wasn't an oops at the printer. That's what's in the scriptures. He says it twice just to make sure we heard it. That's how important this is. If the Bible says anything, it's important. If it says it twice, back to back, we, we probably ought to pay attention, right? This is key. This is significant. And I don't care whether you grew up in abject poverty, or the richest royalty, if you grew up in the United States or anywhere else on this globe, you were created in the image of God. If you had a mom and a dad that were intact, that had a healthy relationship and loved God, you are made in the image of God. And if you grew up in a broken family, maybe you didn't know either of your parents. Or maybe it would have been better if you didn't in some cases. You are still made in the image of God. If you have been abused, if you have been raped, if you have been treated poorly, all of that is wrong because you were made to reflect God. And His image is on you. The reason we started as Baptists This whole emphasis on the sanctity of human life has to do with the advent of abortion on demand in the United States. And the reason we are so adamantly opposed to all of that is that we believe every single human, whether inside the womb or outside the womb, is created in the image of God. They have value. They have worth. They have dignity. Even if they can't speak for themselves. And so we oppose abortion. But here's the thing. We can't say that as Baptists and then be okay with racial injustice. It doesn't work. It doesn't go together. For us to say Babies in the womb have value and dignity and remain in the image of God so you should not abort them. But then to stand by and be okay with attacks on people who have a different color of skin than we do doesn't even make sense. And today what we see overarching is the people who are against abortion don't really talk a lot about racial inequality. And the people who are for solving racial equality, who are seeking racial justice, they often are pro-abortion. That doesn't make any sense because every single person is made in the image of God. That's our theological truth. We are created in the image of God. And because of that, that destroys any attempt at racism. But after this theological kind of ground level, I want to dip into the subject of ethics. Um, One of my favorite courses in seminary was um, Christian ethics. It it, it stems from what do we believe to how do we live that out? And one of the things that that Joe heard from somebody, I can't even remember who, that, that... was such a, a great statement of a deep theological truth. Is what you say you believe plus what you actually do, that, that's what you really believe. What you say you believe plus how you act and how you live that out equals what you really believe. And that's what ethics is it's how we really believe acted out on a daily basis. And specifically, I want to speak to Christians. But our calling, not only made in the image of God, but also the redeemed people of God. By the image of God thing, that applies to everybody, Christian or not. But now I kind of want to hone in, almost funnel in, drive in a little deeper to the body, to the Christians here. And I want to say to you, you are not just made in the image of God, but you are called to be instruments on God's mission to reach all people of all nations with the gospel of Jesus. In other words, all of you are called as missionaries. So our ethical principle comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. Sarah read that earlier. This short passage may seem odd at first. We're going to get there. Just track with me just for a minute here. But the ethical principle is we deny our rights. Deny your rights. So that others might be saved and blessed, let me say that again, deny your rights so that others might be saved and blessed 1 corinthians nine eleven and twelve Read this one more time with me. let me kind of set it up. Paul has been kind of accused by the Corinthian church that you know I'm not sure that you're a real apostle you're you're not really quite as good as those other guys like Peter because they get paid by the church, and you don't you you have a... Paul was bivocational. He was a tent maker. So in verse 11, he says this. If I have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things among you? In other words, I've done the spiritual work. It wouldn't be unreasonable for me to ask to be paid. He continues on. If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? In other words, he was the one there. How can you, you know... Claim that Peter's better because he gets paid by some random guy out there. I'm the one who actually worked among you. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. I want you to focus in on that word. Right. In other words, he could be paid. He could ask a salary from the Corinthians church. That would be completely reasonable. But he says, I'm not making use of that right. In other words, I don't want you to pay me. Here's why. We, but we endure anything, rather than put an obstacle in the way of the Gospel of Christ. So he said, you you guys are all confused about this whole pay thing, not pay thing. It's it's making a mess. And so what I'm going to do, I'm not going to take any money from y'all. Why? Because I'd rather go without than put any block in the way of someone hearing the Gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, I'm going to give up my rights. And as Americans, boy, we like to talk about our rights, don't we? We have them. But praise the Lord, we have them. We have a document that guarantees them, as a matter of fact. By the way, it was Baptist's idea to have that Bill of Rights. Um, just a little credit to John Leland there. We have rights as Americans, as humans. I mean, again, I talked about we, we have dignity, we have worth, we have value just based on the fact that we are created in the image of God. But we even have more as Christians and as Americans. We have the right of free speech. I'm very grateful for that. We have the right of free exercise of religion. We have rights to think how we want, write how we want, speak how we want, demonstrate how we want. And what I want to proclaim to you today, according to the Scriptures, there are times where you should deny your own rights, whether that be as Christians or Americans, for the sake of the Gospel. You should say, the Gospel is even more important to me than my right to speak about a political issue or something like that. Sometimes, We need to get our toes stepped on and just not care if the gospel goes for. Now, please hear me. I'm not speaking about denying our rights to speak about something. I'm not saying don't speak about Christ. I am saying, you know, some of your political views I agree with. Some of your political views I disagree with. that's not my prerogative to say up here on this pulpit. Sometimes, it needs to not be my prerogative to post that on Facebook. And sometimes, it needs to not be my prerogative to get in somebody's face and maybe even be right, but put a block to the Gospel. I listened to a gentleman named Lecrae. He's a rapper. I'm sure some of you, like Joe, know of him. Joe loves him. I can't. I I, rap just, it just, I want to like it, but it just doesn't do anything for me. He's a godly man. I disagree with some of the decisions he's made lately. Um, Lecrae is black. He's basically got to the point of just being fed up with white evangelicalism. He said, I'm just done with you guys. He has been highly, highly criticized for some of his comments. Specifically about all the football stuff. That's why y'all shouldn't watch football. You wouldn't worry about that whole kneeling joke. Anyway, um... I listened to him for several hours this week. I have a very strong opinion about some things. And after listening to him, I heard a godly Christian who had a totally different view. My heart fell out to him. I'm not saying he's right. I'm not saying I'm wrong. I'm not saying I'm right either. I'm just saying maybe, maybe I should think before I speak. Maybe I just shouldn't speak on some of these issues. I need to be more careful. Specifically, he said one thing that just haunted my heart. I told these guys, I'm not even sure if I'm going to share this this week. Um, at that point, I was not going to share it, but I feel like I need to. So you can get what I'm talking about. From my, I love history. I love reading. The group, the Black Panthers, historical organization, not prominent today. Um, they still exist, but but it was a fairly violent organization. There was a lot that could be said in criticism of them. As a matter of fact, I have never heard anything positive said about them. Do you know what Lecrae said? He said, I didn't grow up hearing about the violence and the anger. He said, you know what I heard about the Black Panthers? I heard my grandma say, that's who brings me food when I'm hungry. What in the church? Who's the Black Panthers? He said, "I didn't even know about the Black Panthers. I had no idea who they were. All I knew is they brought my grandma food, and that was a good thing." I'm not advocating the Black Panther. Please hear that. That's not a healthy, good organization. Maybe we just need to listen a little more, be a little slower to speak, and. And, and restrain our rights for the love of our brothers and sisters and our prayerfully, hopefully, to be brothers and sisters out there so that they might hear the gospel of how deep the Father's love for us. An ethical principle give up your rights for the sake of the gospel. So, third application. I've got several things that are quick, and we're going to go through them. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these. That's why I didn't put any blanks or anything like that. but I, I want to challenge our thinking. In some ways. My challenges my way, my thinking has been challenged this week. One, don't assume everyone thinks and possesses the same information you do. Just gave that example. That's where it came from. And that's, that's a different side of the world, it seems like, to grow up on than what I did. Don't assume everybody thinks just like you do. Don't assume, and I'm going to be specific here, don't assume everybody in this church is a Republican. Please. I'm not saying Republicans are bad Democrats. I'm just saying don't assume that. There may be Christians out there who think very differently than you, and they may have some biblical reasoning for that. Don't don't just don't assume that. Listen, talk first. Two, understand that not everyone has had the same opportunities with which you have been blessed. Have y'all seen the video that's circulating out there around Facebook? It's it's mostly good. There's a couple statements that I'm, but where they, they say we're going to have a race with a bunch of college students. They line them all up. There's, there's all sorts of different colors of skin there. Say, who had a, two parents in their home? And st- take a step forward. Who had this? And who had this? And ironically, not exclusively, the people who are Anglo are way ahead of the people who have different skin tones. And they say, okay, now how have we said start the race right now? Who's probably going to win? Well, the people who started way out there ahead. You call it white privilege. Different opportunities. Um, another individual I read said it this way: Giftings are evenly distributed. Doesn't matter what color your skin on. You might be smart. You might be athletic. You might be amazingly caring. I mean, that just it doesn't matter. Giftings are evenly distributed, but opportunity is not. We gotta. Recognize that. Opportunities are not always the same. Third, race and ethnicity is just as much a sanctity of life issue as abortion, rape, slavery, and sexual harassment. We've already hit this a little bit, but it does not make sense to campaign for one and not the others. You can't say this and not this. We need to be careful. They go together because we are created in the image of God. Fourth, Some of our preferences and some of our rights, whether it be for flags, monuments, whatever it might be, need to be voluntarily waived in order to show love and commitment to the Gospel. Here's what the Gospel says. Here there is neither Jew nor Greek, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Colossians 3.11 And just by the way, The reference about barbarians, you know who that's in reference to? White Germanics, in all likelihood. Also known, according to Hitler, as the Aryan race, the barbarians. That's a lot of us in the Scriptures, okay? (laughs) We're We're the wild people, painting our faces blue and killing each other while all this gospel's going on. When I have the privilege to go and tour the parks and monuments in Birmingham, the man who lived through the Civil Rights Movement still lives in that neighborhood today, attended 16th Street Baptist Church that was bombed and the little kids killed. What struck me more than anything else and what haunts me, more than the memorials, more than the museums, more than the gardens, more than the statues of dogs, Pulling at chains. Or even at the ship's water pump that was taken off a battleship because fire hydrants just couldn't pump out enough water hard enough to hit the Black People. They took the fire pumps, fire hoses off battleships. They're still there sitting there that was not the greatest hit. What happened is when we walked to lunch, it said you see that building right there? And it was it was courthouse type building. I don't know if it was a courthouse, it was a state building of Alabama. And the name on it said the George Wallace Building, and you couldn't miss it, right there in big letters. Right next to the park, where all these monuments were, right next to all the shopping area where people walk every day the George Wallace building. And if you're not familiar with George Wallace, he was the governor of Alabama during the time of the civil rights who opposed it. His slogan during his State of the State address was segregation now, segregation tomorrow, and segregation forever. They named the building after him. Right there. And talking to this gentleman, who's a believer, he said, how can we say racial injustice is over when we have this park here and that name there? It needs to be changed. Now I'm not saying this instance or that instance is this, but there are some things that we need to do. Not to remove history. History is what prompts all of this. But sometimes... We need to remove honor so the knife is not twisted on a daily basis for individuals who have seen this. Finally, we need to think about how we are taught history and in our minds evaluate. I I, want to be very specific here. I was taught about Benjamin Franklin history. I'm sure all of you were as well. Benjamin Franklin. Franklin was taught to me as a political genius, a statesman who probably saved the Revolutionary War and therefore the United States by his work in France. And having a semi-idetic memory, I know the word that was used of Benjamin Franklin. He was called a philanderer in the textbook. In other words, he was sexually immoral in France. That's how he was described. But at the same school, by the same teacher, I was also taught that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was an immoral womanizer who had all sorts of bad affiliation, and that's why our school does not recognize his holiday. I hope you see the issue here. You see the racism? One brilliant and saved the country. And the other not even given a positive nod. The overt sin of the two was exactly the same, sexual immorality. But one is a hero and one is a note to history. Uh, Let me point something out. Did you know Martin Luther King Jr. graduated high school at 15, college at 19, seminary at 22? He had his Ph.D. from Boston College, the 37th ranked school in the world by age 26. I hadn't even started my Ph.D. at that point. He advocated peaceful protest. He opposed those who sought violence without dismissing them harshly. He grew a grassroots movement from infancy to sitting in the president's office negotiating peaceful black integration in daily life. I do not claim Martin Luther King Jr. was a great theologian. He wasn't. A great pastor, he was not. A great husband or father, he was not. That he was an amazing leader who changed our country for the better and ended overt legislative racism. We need to check our brains and see how we're being taught. By the way, just for the record, Benjamin Franklin did very well in trade school. Finally, not only do we need theology, ethics application, but I want to end on hopefulness as I share. When we look around the world and it looks grim, we need to remember Christ died for sin. Romans 5, 6-11. through 11, Christ died for sin, and that includes my sin and the sins of those who are evil to you. Christ died for sin, and that includes my sin and the sins of those who are evil to you. Romans 5, 6-11. Let me read this for us. For while we were weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. My friend, if you're not a believer here, you're just checking out the church. That is the Gospel. That is the message. That is our one-trick pony. Jesus died for your sins. Trust Him and be saved. Since therefore we now have been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were still enemies, we were reconciled by God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. More than that, so again, if you're saved, this is your position. More than that now, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. So today, because of what Christ has done, even if everything else falls, we rejoice. He died for our sins. So let me say something to two groups of people Same people, different aspects. You will fail. I will fail. There will be dumb things we do, not intentionally, maybe even intentionally, that harm another brother or sister or human out there by our words, our actions, or our lack of actions. Actively by what we do, passively, by not acting righteously and lovingly when we should. But Jesus died for you so you don't pay the penalty for that sin. That racial joke we told before we knew better is covered by the blood of Christ. Praise God. He covers our failures with His death and He gives you His righteousness. But, But let me say something else. People will fail you and will sin against you. That sin too covered by the blood of Jesus. That doesn't mean necessarily that they are saved, but it does mean that you don't have to enact vengeance because God's already got that covered. It means we don't have to violently raise up the violence done to Jesus Christ on the cross was enough, even for all those sins. We can respond in forgiveness and righteousness like Acts of Peace, which was one of the good legacies of Martin Luther King Jr. And he shared that with us as a nation. So let me challenge us today. Take this in. Remember the image of God. Every time you look at your son, your daughter, your spouse, your co-worker, the guy being obnoxious driving down Nolansville Road, especially about people who might be different than you. Let's pray. We're going to move into the time of the Lord's Supper as our deacons make their way forward. God, we come. This is a heavy sermon, but we praise you and your name and your glory, for you bore a much heavier burden on that cross. And as the hymn writer could say, our sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought was nailed to the tree and we bear it no more. Lord, our sins of racism, hate, standing by silent when we should have spoken and opening our big mouths when we should have been silent. They were nailed to the tree and we bear them no more. And so we say, praise the Lord. Praise you, Lord. Oh, my soul. And Lord, as we come now to this time taking in your supper, the Lord's Supper, the sign of unity among Christians, particularly our church, we thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that covers all our sin And that You will even take care of those sins done against us. Thank You. We do not deserve this. We praise Your name, God, for what You have done, the body, the blood of Christ for us. It is because of this work You have completed, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.